Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Jed Talks. My name is Jed Shepard, and I am your host. Uh, today, I have a great guest with me. This guy is one of the most prolific people I've had on the podcast. This guy has written 45 novels, 30 short story collections, multiple other things, comics, animations, like you name it, he's made it. Um, he's put pretty much everyone else I've had on to shame. It's the amazing Joe R. Lansdale. Hey, Joe, how are you? I'm fine, man. How about you? I'm really good, thank you. Um, it's a real pleasure to, to speak to you. Um, I've read your books and and seen adaptations of your work and um, it, it's always something that just thrills me that there's someone out there that's making something in so many diverse, uh, in, in so many different genres, but still keep that same level of playfulness. There's, there's a real playfulness to, to your work and you're definitely coming at it at, at kind of a different viewpoint than than, than, than a lot of people. Um, if you don't mind, uh, if, I, if I can start right at the start, what made you get into this creativity and into into start writing? Well, you know, I, I I think comic books. I think comic books were the first thing when I was about four. I started reading comic books, and I could read early, thank goodness. And uh, I think that, and then early TV was relatively new, at least as like an industry when I was a child. So I saw all these old movies they were putting on to fill time, like Tarzan movies and the. Uh, Serials for Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and, you know, the Phantom Empire and the Phantom Menace and <laughs> all of that sort of stuff. And it had a it had a big effect on me. And then it led me to reading the comics, especially classics, classics, illustrated comics, led me to reading the novels and stories they were based on. And I think that that was the impetus for my career. And then as I read more, I became more and more inflamed to create. And um your kind of the pro prolific nature of your work you've done a lot um you and you it doesn't seem like you're happy to kind of just like rest on your laurels and and and, and whatever's a success it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you've you've lent into that you've, you've specifically spread your wings quite wide and, and encountered kind of a lot of of different genres and 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 um ideas what what if you had to kind of pick, what are you more com the most comfortable in in making? What kind of genre or what kind of type of characters are you more? I'm not. I'm not uh, more comfortable in making one than the other. Right. Whatever I'm interested in at the moment is the thing I'm truly excited about. And you know, it, it my moods can change. I mean, that's that's the thing. I'm I'm not dedicated to horror or science fiction or mm -hmm. history or uh, westerns or fantasy or crime, what have you, except when I feel that moment that that's what I want to do, then that's what I do. But I don't feel like I have to pick and choose, you know? Yeah. Which can be a difficult uh, career path in some ways, but in other ways, it's a very satisfying when it's worked for me. Yeah. Does, um, I'm, I'm interested in if, uh, the, the people who kind of represent you, if they, if they ever like say, Joe, look, Joe, like, people want you to do this type of thing next. Like, do you pl please go in that direction? Do you ever get kind of like gently nudged in, in that certain direction or is it pretty open? Well, it's happened. You know, I've had a lot of different representation over the years. I mean, I've been selling things for about 48 years now and are getting close to it. And uh, so as time goes on, you know, you have people that are your representatives or your editors or your publisher uh, will say, you know, what you need to do is settle on one thing. Well, if I could happily settle on one thing, I, I would do that. But I yeah. can't because suddenly I have an idea that's outside of what I was doing before. I wrote the drive-in, but I also wrote the magic wagon, you know, mm -hmm. and I wrote Night Runners, but I also wrote Cold in July and that Bubba Hotep. And 
you know, all these stories and novels and the Happen Leonard series, which, uh, you know, is about two guys in East Texas that get involved in, in criminal activity, I guess you might say. So to me, it's all the things I grew up loving are right there at the fore, you know, and uh, so I just dip into that well once in a while and, and see which fish swims into it. And the thing about your writing, Joe, is that just even reading it off the page is it's quite clear that you have a very cinematic mind. Um, when when I'm reading your work, mm. it feels like I'm watching a film, um, even even more so than other books. It feels like because of your your influences or all of the kind of like films that have come before and you have that pop culture mentality, it feels like a film. So that's why I think your work lends itself very well to, to actual adaptations. And a lot of your work has been um, adapted. Um, obviously, Baba Hotep is a massive like favourite of mine. Absolutely love Baba Hotep that you did with Don Coscarelli. And uh, it's almost like a marriage made in heaven, you two, t- together. Uh, yeah. And I, I watched a documentary. It might have been a documentary. Or it was like the extras on, on the DVD or Blu-ray about um, your kind of combination. T- tell me a little bit about, yeah, tell me a little bit about you and, and Don Coscarelli and, and the, the relationship you have. Well, you know, actually, I think Don, when he originally was talking to me, he was wanting to do either the drive-in or dead in the West. I don't remember which right off the top of my head. But uh, he just called me one day and said, this is Don Coscarelli. And uh, I said, yeah, I know who you are. And he said, can I come visit for a few days and talk? I said, yeah, man. So he flew out to uh, Texas. And uh, uh, I, I think he I, he must have had a rental car, I, I think. But anyway, either I picked him up or he had a rental car. I don't remember. But he came to the house. He stayed a few days. We put him in the study downstairs. And uh, he and I would go down there and talk about projects and ideas and uh, we just hit it off. I mean, I, uh, I think a lot of Don, you know, I'm, uh, I like Don a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be honest, he's done two of my works and I wish he had done more, but it just, yeah. you know, doesn't always work out like that. Yeah. But, uh, then we, we were lucky to get Bruce Campbell and Austin Davis for Bubba Hotep, you know, mm-hmm. but he didn't, he didn't really start out for Bubba Hotep. He actually went home and he went to um, a bookstore and someone recommended Bubba Hotep to him as, being a you know a good horror story and good for film and he had that in the back of his mind and he wanted to option it and i didn't think it could be filmed i thought it was too damn crazy for film you know? and uh but he didn't and i i respect him for that and i actually was asked if i wanted to write the screenplay and i didn't because i didn't think it could be done and probably because don was cheap too i'll imagine that's part of it you know? yeah. uh, but the yeah, but the other thing is is that when he wrote the screenplay i was very impressed i i had a few things i thought you know he might do different and recommended and uh, i don't remember if he did those things or not it's been so long ago but uh then the next thing was to find a, an actor that would suit that that would be willing to do that and um my son, just out of weird moment, was a big Bruce Campbell fan. Still is, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, and and so was I. But he came to me and said, "Dad, can we get Bruce Campbell for this?" And I said, "Son, I don't get to choose. That's Don's <laughs> call." And then Don, I, within just a short time, you know, he called me and said, "What do you think about Bruce Campbell?" And I thought, "Man, that's who I would like to have." <laughs> and my, I was my son's hero for a little while there, I think. <laughs> and Bruce Campbell is. Uh 
perfect. I know people associate him with, with Ash from the Evil Dead series, but for me, this is his best performance. There is, with Ash, there's... It's it's the best yeah, with Ash, sometimes it's just one note, but with this, there's layers to his personality. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of pathos as well to, to his character, which you'll need, right. how, how you wrote it. It's um really incredible performance. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. and because he, of the kind of success brought, of it, like the yeah, people want more, don't they? Humor <laughs> to it, you know. And I always thought that he he had a kind of Buster Buster Keaton element oh, about yeah. him, the way he moved and all that, you know. And he uh, he brought that to it, but he he brought a, a level of characterization that I had not seen in some of the other movies, which is not a criticism because each movie has its own voice and its own tone and attitude. But I thought. You know, here's a guy that people need to do more with. And I have for years wanted to do something else with Bruce. Uh, but, you know, all of our, you know, moments just don't line up. Yeah, I, I'm working on something else and yeah. Bruce is doing something else. And um, neither one of us uh, wanted to do the sequel or prequel to Bubba. Uh, there came a point when it almost happened a couple of times mm -hmm. but I, I was never in love with the idea because i think that you diminish the original film and uh, i did do a comic book that uh well it was a comic book was adapted from a story i wrote uh, that's a prequel called bubba and the cosmic bloodsuckers you know which is is great fun and, and a tribute to those low budget movies i grew up on in the 70s and 80s uh <laughs> the corman stuff and then later all the video films and things of that nature uh, but, you know, no prequel or sequel was ever made. And I think we may be better off for that. Do, do you often get people asking you about it, though? Because because it's such a beloved film. And it's, it's a cult film. Yeah. I, I, the time. It's so rewatchable, Joe, as well. Like, I find myself yeah. sticking it on as a comfort movie. Like one where I was like, I just want to yeah, feel this know, certain way. Yeah. <laughs> it always makes me weep a little bit at the end. Yeah. You know. Oh, so good. Bruce is so good there. And of course, you know, I know Bruce, so there's a part of it that connects and I go, oh my God, Bruce Campbell's dying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and yet on the other hand, I think, oh my God, Elvis is dying. And, and you know, I grew up on Elvis. I was a big Elvis fan, still am. Mm -hmm. You know, I listen to his stuff a lot. Yeah. And um, and Bruce was not, you know, he, I don't think he was uh, really he knew a lot about wow. Elvis okay. or, or uh, was a big fan or anything like that, but yeah. he found out more about him. Mm -hmm. And as he'll tell you himself, you know, they uh, the suit he wore the guy that made that suit made suits for Elvis. So the, the suit he wore that was the dress-up suit, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, was actually made by the people who did the Elvis stuff. And the other thing was uh, they had uh, Bruce tried to have uh, a, an Elvis impersonator teach him some moves. And he was so, Bruce was so bad, the guy just resigned or left or whatever, just said, that's I give up sort of thing. Or, uh, that's how Bruce tells it. And, uh, and I remember too being so impressed that Ossie Davis was there because oh, he's, great. he's like one of my heroes for mm -hmm. not only the film, but for the civil rights era and all of the things that he did. He was one of the first black producers, one of the first black directors. I mean, this guy was amazing. You know, he could write, he could, he could uh, act, he could produce, he could direct. He was a civil rights icon. Mm -hmm. uh, so I met him, I, and I don't get starstruck much. I'm more somebody that gets writer struck. I, I really <laughs> love writers. Yeah, uh, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I met uh, met him, and I, I really did feel that that uh, sort of overwhelming sense of history. Mm -hmm. You know, here's a guy that actually knew both Elvis and JFK for real, and wow. uh, you know, and he he, uh, he spoke at, at Martin Luther King's funeral and uh, Malcolm X. I mean, this guy 
you know, he, he was in it, him and his wife, uh, Ruby D. Did, did you ever get, um, and I don't know how much you were on set when, when Bubba Hotep was being shot, but... Well, quite did, a bit. I was. Did, did you ever get Ozzy Davis saying, "Oh, Elvis wouldn't have said that. He would have. He would have done it this way." Or like JFK no, would have. No. Right. <laughs> he did a funny thing though. He, he did a funny thing. He said to me, "He said, can I change a line?" And I said, "Well, Mr. Davis, I didn't write the script. It's based <laughs> on my story." He said, "Yeah, but w- what's your opinion?" And the line he wanted, I think he wanted to do, was say "asshole." <laughs> <laughs> I think that was. But anyway, I, I thought that was. Uh, so sweet of him to even yeah. consider that. And I remember Bruce uh, saying to him that, what are you doing in this movie, Ozzy? This, this is my kind of movie. <laughs> it really is, yeah. <laughs> and Ozzy, I like the script. I like the script. And a, a little aside, a little bit of trivia is that my daughter is a singer and she was in uh, Italy performing. Mm-hmm. And we were over there because I was actually on, a, uh, I think, a book tour in Italy at that time. And uh, we went to watch her perform. We were all guests at the same festival as well, which was also books and music. Oh, nice. And uh, there was a guy playing there, um, Guy Davis. And I had on my Bubba Hotep t-shirt. And he saw it. He said, I loved my dad in that. Oh, wow. And I thought, oh, my gosh. This is <laughs> Ozzy's son. So he said, I'm going to get a picture with for Mama. So I said, well, that's Ruby D. That's Mom. So he took the photograph. Somebody took the photograph with him. So I always thought that that was a. Uh, that's so cool. Moment. That's so cool. Um, you um, also, another ad, ad, ad thing that you've been trying to kind of get adapted for a while. Well, there's been a lot of interest, including from Don Coscarelli, is uh, the yeah. Drive-In and the Drive-In trilogy, right. um, but specifically the, the first book. Now, that's a book when I, yeah. I read it as a kid and it just absolutely blew me away. I've still got my my faded copy that I bought from a secondhand sh- shop for like 30 pence. And it's like, I've read it a million times. Um, and I've also read the comic book adaptation of it that you did a, a few years ago, oh, yeah. uh, which was great as well. Um, but what I really want is to see it on the big screen. I think it's extremely cinematic. Yes, it's a bit strange in places, but I think yeah. that's what made things like Baba Hotep so good. Though. Exactly. Yeah, I think people are looking for, you know, something that's different and something that doesn't just toe the line. And I think right now, you know, is even an even better time because we all need different. We do, yeah. Different from what... And there's a documentary coming out uh, called All Hail to the Popcorn King about this very book. It's already shown in a number of, uh, you know, festivals and uh, it's done real well. I think there have been like three different versions of it, you know, like little tweaking Uh. and stuff. There's one version, but... Tweaking and the and the latest version is the one that I think is coming out on DVD soon. Yeah. They're looking for a distributor. I they you know they've had some, but they're really? looking for a better one. Yeah, and they want to shudder wanna about it. it. Well, yeah, would you? Yeah, that'd yeah, be yeah, yeah. And, um, I mean, like, it's a good documentary. It's fun. I mean, I, I'm a little embarrassed to be the subject, but <laughs> uh, I, I I can't lie. I actually think it's quite quite good and quite honest. But it's a, it's about people who have a the absolute love of of one of your pieces of work which is the driving and like i haven't seen yeah. it yet but, but i know the people that it will be just as passionate about me uh, i'm sorry as me about this particular book because it feels it's a love letter to cinema first and, and foremost i think and it has so much it's just full of action and it's full of if you're a horror fan you'll love it if you're like just a genre fan in general you'll love it and the the places you go with it are, are incredible and it's not too long before it pushes past any kind of barrier you yeah. thought you might, you might have in terms of uh, 
taste even like um but it's something that's influenced me it like like a as you probably know like i make horror movies as well um on the yes. just on the kind of thanks um but like we've like all of these influences like uh, i've had since i was a kid like your books um and, and other stuff and the adaptations of your books a real big influence on me um so like just to see other people who have that same kind of uh love for your work is is going to be great when i finally do watch this documentary but um yeah it should be seen by a lot of people and uh yeah, it's got it's got bruce campbell in it and uh james purefoy and and uh, a uh, lot of different people Adam so Benson. Are, you know, yeah 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 yes don coscarelli i mean of course there's a lot and the dvd also has extras on it which you know other interviews with people and uh, yeah i think amber benson is in in that section and uh, um, you know a lot a lot of interesting people but you know the funny thing about that book it's been described as science fiction horror satire and fantasy and it's it's actually all those things it's yeah. all those things at one time sometimes in one sentence <laughs> you know and uh, it, it is also an experiment it's experimental and in <laughs> oh. some ways what i was trying to do was to do something we're not you know you have characters in the story but the book itself is the character mm -hmm. the voice style the attitude you know a lot of roger corman movies that i saw some of them i i didn't really remember all the contents but i remembered how they made me feel yeah you know and 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 some of them i you, you know you have to be a certain age for those things to happen and others you know they they last and last you know or how i felt when i saw you know ray harryhausen or um yeah. you know saw his films that all those things that is that enthusiasm was there and there was also a chance for me to satirize a number of things like uh you know being a part of a cult mm -hmm. being part of uh, the popcorn king's cult so to speak and yeah. finding somebody that you put all your hopes and dreams into and i don't know if you remember but jack the main character was also he had all these books on numerology and astrology mm -hmm. and he had been disappointed in all of those so yeah. it's sort of a vehicle for that and a commentary on things but what i wanted it most of all to be was fun and entertaining and yet it's the darkest novel i've ever read <laughs> it's really dark it's really dark and it gets dark really fast but i think what you said there was is really yeah well you said there is it's really interesting that how fast it took people to descend into into to animals essentially and descend into and to buy into this cult um like very very yes. quickly um and i guess yes. that kind of thing happens in real life as well so it is dark uh, it is twisted exactly um do you think one of the reasons why it hasn't been adapted yet is because of the popcorn king himself just the the amount how do you bring him to life essentially do you think that one of the reasons yeah i think it could have been early on i think part of it though is that technology has changed so much yeah and there was some interest in doing it as a television series once which i mm -hmm. thought was a very interesting idea yeah and there's a great script that stephen romano wrote for greg nicotero it was never bought though i mean he still owns it but mm. uh and i thought that would have made a great film but greg got into the uh, uh you know the walking dead and then it never went beyond yeah. the discussion stage. Mm -hmm. and uh, so uh, you know it's popped up a few times it's been optioned a few times and i've seen some scripts from it that i just uh, hated and uh <laughs> a lot of times people miss it you know people feel so excited about getting a property then they spend all their time changing everything in it mm -hmm. now it doesn't mean that that books and film are, I mean, I, I write scripts too. I've written screenplays. So I'm not like a, 
you know, a babe in the woods. Of course, yeah. But sometimes people lose the very essence of what makes it, what makes a person want to do it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly it's like, yeah, but we can get this actor. Well, you know the drill. And, uh, you know, you can, I can... I can film it here and they say they'll do it if we'll put a train in it and, you know, so on and so on. And, and so, um, but, but this one, I haven't, I haven't seen it get beyond the option and the excitement stage, but most of what killed it, I, I don't know the popcorn Kings specifically, but I would think so is just that the technology was not there at the time. It yeah. is now. It, it totally is now. I guess the the second and the third book is, a, is probably a lot harder than doing this. This first one's relatively contained compared to the to the sequels, yeah. uh, which I think would possibly be well. It would be extremely difficult to film. <laughs> you need a massive, massive match. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but this first one, I think it's very doable, and I hope someone um, does it soon because I think it's. It's ripe. It's ripe to be made into something. A TV show idea is that could be good. That could, so you don't rush anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And you know, the, uh, uh, yeah, you, you would, it would be good. And and if you had a TV show and it was successful, you probably could do the second, third book to some degree because you'd have more room to spread out and to develop the characters that are in the, uh, in the second one, you've got a lot of characters and a lot of little, uh, sort of universes within universes, you know, you've got shit town and you've got all these different things, you know, that, uh, are there. So yeah, you probably do it that way. I, I think that is a sound stage for the first one would just be amazing. Uh, would be a good idea. Cause you could look at me. Yeah. And I'll tell you, and I'll tell you the main problem is people got baffled by or are not baffled by, but worried about the multiple screens. Uh, there is a hmm. version where they just put it all on one giant screen and it's in this one area yeah. um, and you can make that work. But I, I think I always like the idea of this being several different communities in a sense yeah. in all these different areas of the drive-in, you know, yeah. because that almost makes these, the, you've got these different villages and you've got these different versions of the cult. I love know? that. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's got all these different, and I just thought that that it would be better with multiple screens. But I think the idea of that scares some people. That how do you make that work? And I, I'm not of the opinion that it's that difficult. It certainly wouldn't be breezy, maybe, but I think it yeah. can be done. Awesome, um, yeah, and like, um, like I say, like we'll we'll speak after uh, afterwards about that more because I'm, I'm so interested in everything to do with the drive, and so we'll, we'll have a chat about that afterwards. Yeah, sorry about the phone, by the way. Oh, it's all right, no worries. Um, so you've got multiple things. You've got Happen Leonard, Leonard as well. Um, do you? And that's been that's a TV show as well, and it's an ongoing book series. And um, uh, honky yes. honky tonk samurai is is probably my my favorite um but thank do you, you do you do you think that the the jump to screen um how do you think that's effective affected your series of books do you find that you are almost writing wow. to screen yeah no i don't think so i mean i when i see the characters i i, I love james and michael they're just fantastic in that but when i see the characters when i'm writing i don't I don't envision them. Right. And uh, in the series, you know, it's, the characters have changed over the years and grown. But yeah. I was already probably nine books in before they started, you know, filming. So I'm sort of already uh, baked in the oven, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I try to make each novel a little different. I've done some as mystery, some as suspense, some as heist, you know, different things, and yet keep it 
the characters the same. And and I've gone a little broader with like Vanilla Ride and uh, mm-hmm. Devil Red. Yeah. Then I've uh, and maybe Honky Tonk Samurai somewhere in the middle. And then I've come back like with Rusty Puppy and Jack Rabbit Spile to more social issues. And then uh, the last one, Elephant of Surprise, is uh, is a thriller. You know. Yeah. It's no, it's 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 great, and, and like I guess once the book's released, it's like like letting your child out into the world. That they have to make their own kind of decisions now. So, um, are you surprised by some some of the decisions that you see made with your characters? Like, do you, are you watching it saying, "Oh, I'm not sure that he would have done that," or like, "Yeah, that's actually something I didn't think of." Always. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love it. Really, really good. I think yeah. what bothers me is not changes that you make cinematic favor, you know, and you want that because Mm -hmm. some things that just don't play and other things that do. But I think sometimes a little bit more uh, adherence to my dialogue. I always said I may not write the world's best dialogue, but I write the best dialogue for my characters. Yeah. And I think when people try to imitate me, it always comes to me, sounds false. (laughs) And and that's one of the biggest complaints I got from even fans of the show was like, why didn't they use more of your dialogue? Yeah. And then there's times when, story goes a certain way that's very cinematic that they just decide no let's do this and that's what i call the writer's room syndrome yeah it's where everybody has to pee on your tree to mm. let the world know that look if i hadn't added that dog in there that scene wouldn't have been that good you know yeah. it's it's that sort of thing is not just putting your flavor but misunderstanding that uh, a, a really good adaptation is one that kind of tries to stick as close as possible to the book knowing full well you can't do it literally yeah. But then sometimes this this people, I just got this good idea and I'm I'm gonna change the whole course of it, you know. <laughs> and and sometimes they're right, you know. Yeah. Sometimes they're right. But but uh I think that's probably the thing that's bothering me most, and that's a minor criticism because yeah. uh, I for the most part I've been really lucky with Bubba Hotep Cold in July, uh and it's great uh, the film as well. TV show. Yeah. yeah, and the Batman the animated series, they even did my scripts pretty much as I wrote them. Uh, and uh, I was going to talk to you about that. Like so, so with with yeah. with the stuff you've done for, for obviously Batman the animated series is extremely beloved by by uh, yeah. animation and comic book fans. It's it's incredible, and like even as a as an adult, I watch that and it still hits the same yeah. marks. It's it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, what was so? Yeah. How did you get onto that? How did they approach you for that, or did you treat it just like a like a gig basically? You know, I I think I had already written a couple of Batman short stories uh, right. for some volumes, um, and uh, I had written I may have written a Batman novel by then. I I don't remember, but I think so. <laughs> and later, I wrote a Batman young adult book. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened was I had a friend who worked at DC, Bob Wayne. He was he was you know he he handled business over there. And uh, one day I was in New York when they were in New York visiting DC comics and visiting uh, my friend Bob. And he said, let me show you something. So he took me in this room. We sat down and had a video and he showed me the opening for Batman, you know, that whole opening. Yeah. And I thought, great. Wow. <laughs> so, do you like that? I said, yeah, it's terrific. So I think what happened, well, I know what happened is Bob put a, a word in somebody's ear and Michael Reeves, I believe is the one who called me first. Mm-hmm. And, uh, said, you know, we're, we're doing this series. You want to take a crack at doing the script? I said, yeah, I'd do that. And they had ideas that they kind of assigned to specific writers that they felt would handle those ideas better. Yeah. And so they gave me, uh, you know, perchance to dream. And I wrote the script off the idea and I thought it was a good script. And, mm-hmm. uh, 
and I did the uh, Read My Lips later, which I liked, and Showdown. Now, yeah. later they changed it to Batman and Robin Adventure, so the whole tone changed, and I wrote one of those, Critters, which, uh, yeah. as Bruce Timm says, is one of the most reviled. I, I wrote some of the most, <laughs> most loved, and, and, but that one's gained, gained a lot of fans since because yeah. you know, they understand that me and Tim and uh, all of us were doing kind of a, a paradistic approach to th this new uh, series, and yeah. it limited us because we had to have Robin in it, and you had to have a certain more youthful approach. Yeah. So I, I did almost a, a satire, but it, it's it's a loving satire, you know. Yeah. And uh, I wrote one Superman plot. I wrote a script actually, and they ended up using it more as a plot. And somebody else wrote a better script than I wrote. It was, it was much better. So, uh, so I've been involved in all of those things, and, and it's just one of the greatest joys of my life. I and I wrote a Batman animated film uh, adapted son, uh, son of Batman. Oh, and, right. Uh, okay. So I did that. Nice. And I've and, written some other things that that, for them that never got made that they had. So are you, are you interested in, in like developing comics? Like it, would comics be a, a, another kind of avenue that you'd want to kind of go down on a more kind of consistent basis? Like, would you want to start your own comic series, for instance? Besides, obviously, you've had the driving yeah, comic. I, I've actually had one. I, I had oh, okay. a, a Dark Horse did by Bizarre Hands and, and different oh, artists okay. and writers, but they were based on my stories. Right, I'd right. like to have had a more direct hand in in, in that sort of thing. And of course I've written probably a hundred comics. Yeah. You know, I've written the Jonah Hex comics and that's right. And, and yeah. Tim Truman did the art. I did three volumes of those. And uh, I think there were four, five, I think the first two had five issues and four issues. I wrote a lot of little single short comics. Mm -hmm. I even wrote a fantastic four for younger readers. And nice. I mean, I've done a lot of that. So I, I but yeah, I love comics, you know, I and mean, my son writes, started writing comics, you know, oh, we, perfect. we did X files together and, Oh really? Oh, what well, the uh, the um, IDW did the X Files comics, or uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, they did the. We did nice. a two parter, you know, for them, and then we did a creep creep show, and yeah. uh, you know, my daughter and son. We wrote a story actually that was adapted by Matt Vane, a very good script writer uh, for Creep Show, and. Nice. And then Love, Death, and Robots has done oh, some yeah. of my stuff. Yeah. And talking of anthologies, um, you, were, you you wrote the first episode of The Masters of Horror, if I remember right. Um, well, it was based on my story. Uh, right. you, know, you know the guy I was telling you about that wrote the screenplay for The Driving? He wrote that script. Ah, nice. Yeah, and that's yeah. instant on and off a, a mountain road. Uh, right. And yeah. I was on the set, though. My son and I both were nice. on the set. I've been on the set for all these things, except so maybe Creep Show. All yeah. the big ones, you know. Uh-huh. It's, it, it's, it's so good. Like, I, I love that, like, the Masters of Horror, like, series. Like, Mick Garris is, like, a real hero. I inter He was on my show oh, a couple, couple Mick, of weeks Mick ago. He's a buddy of mine. He's I love so that good. guy. Yeah. He's, he well, he's, he's the best. He's just a damn good human being. He is. And, you yeah. know, that, that's what I care about, you know. I'm... I, you know, I, I, you, you get in this business and it's, it's got so many wonderful people. And I think it gets a bad rap for all yeah. the bad people, but the bad people overwhelming by their sorry actions and by yeah. their uh, inability to have any kind of loyalty or, and, and I mean, sometimes things just go awry because it's not like one person always has the say. Yeah. And I think people, some writers, I know they forget that. And you know, well, that's not exactly like what I wanted. And I'd say, well, you know, welcome to the club. But <laughs> but the thing is that you've got so many different factors, you know, yep. you've got so many different people with so many, so so different agendas. So that sometimes it's it's difficult. But 
but there are some real assholes in the business. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's every business, you know, yeah. it's just that this business is highlighted more because it is entertainment. Um, and you have a lot of people that want to make films, but they don't really care about the quality of the films. Mm -hmm. Or they don't understand that the creators actually know more about the films or about the creations than they do in the office so they can get Johnny Depp in a scene, you know, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Not, and I'm not criticizing Johnny Depp. You know, I'm not <laughs> criticizing him. You know, it, it's often like that. You'll have a really, like I was supposed to direct a film that I'm working on, uh, nice. trying to develop right now with mm -hmm. some producers out of Dallas. Mm -hmm. And uh, my, my son did the script based on a story of mine called uh, The Projectionist. And I know that that title's been used before. but That's fine. And, yeah. But, it's uh, been used a million a times really, as well. But it's, a we, we think, okay. it's a kind of noir film, you know, mm -hmm. and I really, uh, and we've nearly done it a couple of times, but there's always that person wants to put the money in. But can we get Matt Damon? No, uh. we can't get Matt Damon. <laughs> We're doing a, a much smaller film. We're doing like a million dollar film, you know, mm -hmm. or we want to anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. no. Uh, let's get some good actors that have some track record and uh, let's not worry about that because if the film is as good as I think it's going to be or can be, then, uh, you know, you take it to film festivals, you get some recognition and you build off of that. And perhaps you make a streaming deal as a number of my friends have made mm -hmm. and uh, you go from there. Yeah. Exactly. So you've got aspirations to uh, be in the driver's seat. So would that be solely for stuff that you've, come up with the concept with or is there a world where you would want to kind of direct other people's stuff it just depends you know it depends on if i was excited about it you know the uh, right. um you know i didn't grow up wanting to be a director and i still it's not my greatest dream my mm -hmm. greatest dream i'm doing i'm a writer yeah <laughs> i've never i've been i've been a martial artist for 58 years i knew you know, yeah. i didn't this yeah, this isn't just native good looks, and uh, and and so I like I said, I've been a, mar a martial artist for tw uh, you know fifty eight years, and uh, so those were my, my two biggest dreams. But in the eighties, uh, and I've always been interested in film. I've always loved film, but I always thought I might write for film, which you know I have done. But uh, in the eighties, I remember strangely, I read an interview with John Sales in uh, Twilight Zone because yep. he had written the script for The Howling, and you know with Alligator and Piranha. Mm -hmm. and, and I really thought those were all so smart, so clever, you know, battle beyond the stars. And yeah. I, th I could feel that the scripts were almost better than the film, except the howling, I think is a magnificent film. It's my favorite. Amazing. So, un so underrated yeah. because it came out at roughly Absolute the same time as American world. It's got yeah. a sense of humor. It's, yeah. it's scary. It's clever. Great dialogue. But anyway, I read this interview by him and he talked about, you know, I, and I'd read short stories by him and read a, a, a novel or by him and, I really admired him. And when he was talking about directing and how he went about just doing it, mm -hmm. I thought, you know what? Maybe I do want to do this. Cause I didn't, at that time, I didn't want to move to Los Angeles. I didn't want to, yep. you know, uh, do that at all. And I didn't want to be the guy that had to, uh, you know, go, go through all of this crying and whining to get, you know, get my foot in the door. Um, not that I'm not willing to pay my dues, but mm -hmm. I just thought that I was a more independent kind of guy, yep. but I, I've done both. You know, I've, I've worked for independent stuff. I've worked for, or stuff of mine has been made into independent films and I've worked for the other, but that just put the bug in my ear. And, uh, I thought about it. Then I decided not to. And then in the nineties, um, a couple of people came to me and said, you know, we think you could direct a film just from reading your scripts and your mm -hmm. stories. You know, you, you kind of understand this. Yeah. And I thought, well, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm ready for that. And, uh, <laughs> I think it was the right choice, but I am ready for it now. 
And part of it is I've had a lot more experience on sets. A lot of my friends are directors. A lot of my friends are producers. You know, my friends are actors. And so you get all these different perspectives on how film is done. And, you know, I've never had this, uh, you know, I want to be the the big guy. I just want to make something cool. And I think you should never lose that because people lose that. You know, I want to make something cool that I'm proud of. And, And if it sucks, at least I did the best I could. And, uh, you know, because there's so many factors, again, in film, as you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's, it's one of my um, more recent dreams, let's just say, since about it's you great. Know, early yeah. 2000s. Well, we're singing from the same hymn sheet, like um, the, the, cool, the cool factor, making something <laughs> that you and your friends would want to watch, something that yeah. even, if, even if the vast majority of people turn their nose up at it, it's something that you can go, this is a fucking cool exactly. movie. This is, and, and that's yeah. what we, that's what we, exactly what we do with host. Um, me, me and Rob, we were just like, what's the kind of movie that we'd want to see that we don't see right now. Um, subverting genre tropes and stuff like that. And, uh, and we made yeah. it and like, it's, it's blown up because of the love we've kind of put into Congratulations it. Congratulations to you. Oh, thanks man. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah. And I think oh. if you, if, if you put, if you put that, kind of energy into everything you do you make something that you know this is so cool yeah. and obviously you're going to get people studios representatives saying oh i think it should be this way and you just think who are you who are you to like to like ch- change something that's so pure and so full of like love um i'm always i'm always thinking like that like why are you i like i'm known especially in the uk as like a, a horror guy i know this genre like the back of my hand I've, I've read everything. I've seen everything. I dissect it. I like, I go frame by frame with my favorite like horror scenes to work out the anatomy of a scare. That's how deep I am into it. Yeah. And, and then you get some random person who, who isn't really, doesn't know the genre, who doesn't, who's not a creative mind saying, Oh, I think it should be like this. And you just think, Oh my God, like, why do I have yeah, to explain I myself? Know, I know. <laughs> but I guess they're thinking yeah, of know, like the money, I guess. Yeah. And I have friends that are directors, and it's like being a writer. Not all of them have the same approach. Some of them are very technical. Others aren't. They're very imagery. They're like they're like painters. Yeah. And then there are some, like John Sales, who I don't know, but who I admire that he's just a storyteller. Mm-hmm. He kind of puts the camera there and says, okay, here are the lines. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so they, people do it. They're kind of like plays in motion, you know, and yeah. – uh, you know, he's varied. He's done some more, but a lot of them are like that to me. I, I just saw one recently called Go for Sisters, which is a suspense film without any real suspense. But if you think there is. <laughs> oh, how does that, how does that work? That's a magic trick. Yeah, itself. that's what I thought. I didn't even know such a thing could exist. But when I saw it, it it's all character driven and it's it's marvelous, I think. I, I think it's, it's one of those films that, you know, I, I think the real genre heads may not like it, but mm-hmm. it's one of those films that addresses what's missing in so many uh, low budget films. And he did that in the ones that he wrote is he brought a sense of character and he brought a sense of style and uh, an element of a secondary aspect to it, you know, that, that he was trying to put some little bit of social issues sometimes and sometimes just, you know, giving the characters a little depth uh, more than just I'm going to get eaten by an alligator run. <laughs> and uh, so those are the kind of things I like, you know, and, and yet, you know, some of my favorite things are like street trash and basket. Love and, street trash. And love it. Peace within. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of that stuff. You know, I I love all that stuff because it was somebody that <laughs> that wanted to make a film and had two cents and somebody's best wishes. And that was it. And they made it. 
now I don't think you could make street trash. Imagine trying to pitch to a studio like street trash. Like it, it'd be impossible. Yeah, so he's tossing his pick, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we get. I love that scene, by the way. I love that scene. <laughs> I do too. And you know, frankly, it's one of the few scenes I remember from that film. I yeah. didn't think that, oh my God, this is a perfect film, but by no means, it was a mess. But what it was was an interesting mess. I mean, yeah. I've always said I would rather see an interesting failure than mm -hmm. a bland success. hundred percent. Where everything yeah. falls in line with who gives a shit. You know. exactly and like ha for, for me like it's the feeling you get when you leave the cinema that counts you want to be the person that's made a 15 year old kid who's broken up with their girlfriend forget her name for like two hours because they're watching something so incredible on screen and when they leave they're like i've just seen something mad i need to tell everyone about it and like it's that feeling we're yeah. trying to capture it like uh, with, with stories well um, I, I think too that uh, those filmmakers in that era were brave and and they were politically incorrect and and they were <laughs> They were doing, you know, because this film, I mean, yeah. the mistake is, I think there's a difference in making a film that's racist. And, you know, I, I couldn't stand for that kind of thing. But I yeah. think there's a difference in making a film that might contain racists in it mm -hmm. or might have other aspects about it. And it has a, it's on the side of the angels. It's trying yeah. to tell you something. You know, it's trying to show you something. And then there are others like Basket Case. It isn't showing you anything. It's just, my God, <laughs> my God, yeah. no. <laughs> exactly. So you've also you've also started a publishing company with your daughter. Um, yes, uh, right? Andy Press. She's actually the brains behind it. I'm sort of the guy that goes, okay, because <laughs> she knows what she's doing, and it's because it's. I think part of that is uh, you know she's she's much more interested in that technical aspect of putting the the company together. Mm -hmm. She's you know a professional singer, and uh, but during this time she hasn't been able to do many gigs of course, yeah. but she also writes fiction and things like that so she brings a lot of elements to the book business because she's had a lot of experience with the music business and mm -hmm. with writing and so she knows what it takes and she's creative herself very creative she's also an actress done mm -hmm. little bit parts and things like that commercials and and things of that nature and uh so we thought well yeah this would be kind of cool to take some of my out of print titles because instead of giving them to somebody in perpetuity mm -hmm. to to see what they'll do yeah you know? it's a really good and, idea uh, yeah so, and she's really just now starting to gear it up it's been around a while but we're just now really starting to gear it up to get into ebooks and to start really advertising and, and spreading the brand you know yeah that's really cool and is the aspiration to do um other people's works uh not just your kind of like back catalog I think so you know right? right now it's just mine i mean uh, and you know i have plenty of things in print with major book companies mm -hmm. but i have some that i started to try to sell to major book companies and i just thought you know what these are kind of good titles and i want to see what they'll do and nice. uh, they, you know and got good results and the um and the drive-ins now in print from uh book voice they, they did a the complete drive-in a big you know yeah. compilation but uh, I think it was just another thing of my interest. I've always wanted to be a publisher mm -hmm. or have some connection to publishing because I love books. So I would like to see it extended beyond just my books and into the books of others. But that would depend yeah. on how successful it is. Of course, yeah. But it's always great to like champion new authors or, or, or people that you know that okay. are authors. Um, yeah, I think that's the ultimate aim to kind of spread that altruism throughout like good people um but yeah just the last the last point i just want to speak to you about is how do you get as prolific as you like there are people out there listening to this thinking how do we get as prolific as joe like what's your what's your process like 
do you get distracted at all? It doesn't seem like you get distracted. It seems like you can just sit down, bash out a, an awesome book. Like, so what's your process? No. And yeah, I remember you said like 45 novels. It's actually like 50 or 51. Really? So, well. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, thing, the thing for me is I love what I do. That's the first thing. Yeah. The second of all, I love what I do for only three hours a day. And then right. I'm done. Uh, I very seldom work more than three hours. And I get up in the morning and I write. And, and, and you know, some days and, and some periods of time when you're working on something, you'll have a project that for whatever reason, sometimes unidentifiable, you'll have some problem or it's more difficult. And then you'll have most of the time with me, the story's right there. And it's all as soon as I put my finger on the keys, it comes. I don't plot them. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't do that. And for novels and stuff, it's unlike a screenplay where you, you know, you've got a time limit, you've got certain beats that you know that you're going to have to think a little bit more about how to construct it and stuff. Or, or if you're doing a, a, a collaboration with somebody, then obviously you can't both be riding the horse off in the opposite direction. Yeah. But for me, I get up every morning and I come in and I write for anywhere from one to three hours. And uh, I seldom ever write over three hours. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, I'll come back, work in the afternoon or the evening, but usually it's three hours. And then some days I'll, I'll spend a little time, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, film and my agent and, and, and different things like that. Mm-hmm. But that I think that's my secret is what keeps it fresh is not working a whole lot. It's working less. And work hard, work smarts. Yeah. yeah. And you can't, I can't, I can't, I can't hold that intensity and love for hours on hours and hours on end. I mean, I might have one day, which for some reason I've got a, you know, a contract due and I'm already well into it. And mm-hmm. I, I, and I can't remember when I did that last, maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, but for me, that's what keeps the magic alive is still in the dream state, somewhat in the dream state. When I get mm-hmm. up, I go to work and I haven't quite let go of the dream and I haven't, uh, but I'm awake enough to where I can be a little bit more, practical about how things shape out but I, a lot of the work i do is based on dreams mm-hmm. so it's good so it, does that mean like when you wake up in the morning you you your three hours of work is essentially the first thing you do yeah. in the morning right okay yeah. and then you have the whole afternoon and rest of the night to yourself right it's a yeah. great way of doing I mean, it you gotta have some time for masturbation you know? <laughs> yeah that takes right? most of the day so yeah. like <laughs> well, that's, that's the other hours yeah. but, 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 and there will be that's how it works. You know, three hours of work and then masturbation for the day. Uh, that's the key to success. Yeah. I really (laughs) like what I do. And that's number one. Number two, I don't write for anybody else. Um, I I mean, somebody might come along and say, I have an anthology and would you write for it? And if it interests me, I go, yeah. And I Mm -hmm. I can get excited. Uh, But I've always said, I write like everybody I know is dead so that I'm not (laughs) writing for my agent, you, my yep. friend, my wife, you know, my pit bull, whatever it is, I'm not doing that. I'm writing for me. And then That's when great. I get through, of course, I hope like hell somebody loves it. It's not yeah. that I don't care about the audience. It's just that I don't know who the audience is. Mm-hmm. I don't know what all these individual people like, but I know yeah. what I like. Exactly. And so that's what I do. And, you know, it's just like anything else. Some things are better than others. Some pe- things rise higher than others. You generally have a, a level that you don't go below when you've been doing it a long, long time. Yeah. But uh, as my a friend of mine, Harlan Nelson, he said uh, that, you know, you should be able to build a chair as well as a cathedral. I think were the words he used, something similar <laughs> to that. And I agree with that. I mean, on my worst day, I can write a publishable story. And on my best day, I can write a story, a story that has echoed beyond the reading. Yeah. Wow. 
So like, so guys, that that that's the tip for, from Joe. And I, I I definitely agree with you that you have to write for yourself first and foremost. Don't care what anyone else thinks because it'll just pollute it'll pollute your mind and fill yourself full of doubts. Right. Um, uh, yeah. So I think it's even more important with film because as soon as you turn in that script, it's over. Because then now somebody else has got some. And you know, it's not that it's illegitimate because they have to look at it and say, okay, this is how much money I've got. Mm-hmm. This is the actors I can get. Yeah. And this is, uh, you know, the sets I've got. And uh, I've got to get it during the weather when it's, you know, not raining like a mother. And uh, so there's so many different factors. But that one moment and in books and, and stories, it's even better because it's what you wrote. You're the producer, the actors, the director, everything. But that's the difference. You And you really should enjoy that first script as much as is humanly possible mm-hmm. because it, it, is, it is a collaborative effort. And it is going to take a lot of different people with different, you know, viewpoints and 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 then when people are filming it, I, I've been on sets where a great scene is planned and then they realize that the actor can't do it. It doesn't even mean oh, they're no. bad actors. It just yeah. means that they, their, their own personality and their way of interpreting that scene is not conducive to doing it as it was originally planned. Yeah. You know, you have, you have to change it to suit. And sometimes that's, that's all for the better. I mean, you gotta, you gotta trust your actors too. You I mean, you gotta have a, a wide view on that, or you may come in to shoot that scene and you're already and it has it rains. Oh, so yeah. I have to move it inside. How, how do I uh, re envision this scene to get the same elements out of it? Yeah, but yeah, take yeah. it out of that moment when I thought it was going to be so cool out there in the trees and no, <laughs> usual. Well, that's something you can do when you when you're when you direct more stuff. You'll you'll have that you'll have that power to, to be able to, to, to do that. But, but Joe, like uh, we have to wrap up now, but I'm going to speak to you off after I press stop record. But um, just fi- finally, you've got some, um, I, I see that you've got some, some kind of books coming out soon. You've got fishing for dinosaurs and other stories. is One of the uh, uh, things yep. that's coming out relatively soon. Is that? Yeah, it's out right now. Just, just oh, cool. Nice. It's and it's, uh, uh, I think there's like five novellas in it and one original, uh, 60, 68 barrels on treasure lake is the original one. and it's got black hat jack fishing for dinosaurs of course and the ape man's brother um a whole bunch of uh, stories that i'm pretty proud of so and then i got a, a new novel coming uh this summer from um mulholland little brown mulholland uh, called mm-hmm. moon lake moon lake okay and, wh- and when's that out just uh, sometime in the summer june or july right now Awesome. I, I can't wait for that, Joe. Um, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, if people want to find you on social media, how, how can they how can they connect? Well, um, www.joarlandsdale is my website, but I have a fan page too on Facebook mm-hmm. and I'm on Twitter. Yeah. And it's just Joel Lansdale on Twitter, I believe. Some place to argue <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much, Joe, and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you.